Good evening, everyone. Um, today's reading is taken from Mark, chapter 16, verses 1 to 8. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary mother of the James, and Salome brought spices so they might go and anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen, he is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Thanks, Celeste. My name's Alex, I'm one of the ministers here. I'm the Carlton Campus Minister, and it's great to be with you and uh, share uh, Easter Sunday with you this evening. It's such a great time uh, for our church family. Uh, as uh, Sam mentioned, uh, the resurrection really is the event that changed the course of history forever. We often talk of, uh, about events as world-defining events that change the course of history. Well, today we celebrate the divining event, the event that changed the course of history. It's the day that death died. It's the day that Jesus was raised never to die again. Of course, the cross and Jesus' resurrection are intimately connected. It's very hard to pull them apart. Uh, Good Friday uh, and Easter Sunday uh, relate to each other. On Good Friday, we remember that Jesus went to the cross for us, that on the cross he bore God's judgment. He suffered the punishment that we deserved, that our sins deserved. And Jesus' resurrection, though, is the proof that his loving sacrifice was enough. Uh, the Apostle Paul said this uh, in 1 Corinthians, if Christ has not been raised, you are still in your sins. Uh, he says this because if uh, Jesus had have stayed dead, it would have meant somehow his sacrifice wasn't enough. If Jesus had remained in the grave, that means for whatever reason, his attempts to atone, uh, to deal with the sin of the world, they weren't effective. But as he says later in 1 Corinthians 15, Christ was raised. And because he has been raised, we have full assurance that Jesus' sacrifice was all sufficient. It was perfectly effective in paying for sin. Christ's resurrection means that, yes, there is a way back into relationship with God. It means, yes, our sins have been washed away. It means, yes, uh, God, the floodgates of God's mercy have been flung open wide. And it means, yes, when we come to God in faith, we have full assurance that sins will be forgiven. Uh, that's one reason, uh, one thing to say about uh, what the resurrection means about Jesus. And you'll notice uh, in your little outline there, there uh, there's some headings on one side and uh, there's a re another reading we'll get to 
on the other. The resurrection also tells us this about Jesus, that he's the Messiah and the Lord. Throughout history, God promised that he would send his Messiah into the world to Israel. Uh, Messiah is just the Hebrew word for king. And God promised that his Messiah would come to reign, not just in Israel, and not just king over Israel, but as the Lord of the universe. He would come and bring a God's kingdom rule of justice, of mercy, and of peace. And back around Jesus' time, there were lots of people who claimed to be that promised Messiah. Here's a, a depiction of one of them, Simon bar Kokhbar. Uh, he was one of these so-called messiahs and uh, they were looking for someone who would lead them to a glorious victory against their oppressors, against Rome. And so Simon bar Kokhba, he led a, a Jewish revolt against Rome. If we look through the pages of history, we'll see that that uh, uh, revolt was crushed and, and he was killed. Well, what would have happened if Jesus' story ended on Good Friday when he was killed. Well, he would have also been remembered as just another messianic pretender, a fake, a phony. But it didn't end there, did it? His story ended in resurrection. And that's God's testimony, his public testimony, his declaration to the whole world that Jesus is who he claims to be. Uh, in Acts 2, one of the early sermons preached by Jesus' followers, he says this, this is the Apostle Peter, uh, the resurrection is a proof that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And so Jesus' resurrection isn't really just a fact that we do or we don't give assent to. It means something. If we believe it, we can't go on living as if nothing has changed because Everything has changed. The resurrection means that Jesus is the Lord over everything, including you and including me. It means he deserves all our loyalty and love, all our worship and obedience. The bodily, historical and miraculous resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's the world-changing event. And it's the foundation of the Christian faith. Everything else kind of hangs on it, right? This is what the Apostle Paul says also in 1 Corinthians 15. If Christ has not been raised, not only are you still in your sins, but your faith is futile. It's, it's useless. It's pointless. There's, there's no point coming to church on Easter Sunday or, or any other time. All of this, a waste of time. Christ's resurrection has to be true historically true for it to be worthwhile. Is it true? And because this is such a big deal, it's worth investigating, it's worth checking it out. Now, I think there are good reasons to believe it's true. Now, I'm a minister, I, I, I would say that, wouldn't I? But I think it's true, and I, I've been through that journey of trying to figure it out for myself uh, when I was at uni as well. Here are some of the reasons, I think, uh, there's the, the, that we can believe it's true. And the best evidence we have are the eyewitness accounts, 
the Gospels, one of which we heard from today, from the Gospel of Mark. There's good evidence to suggest that they're historically intact. One thing we hear a lot is they've kind of been altered during the years and we don't really know what was originally written. Well, there's really good evidence to say that actually they are historically intact. They were, what was written is what was originally reported. And there's also good reason to suggest that what they reported was actually what they saw and experienced. Uh, one reason is the prominence of the women in the Gospel account. Uh, you would have noticed in the reading uh, that Mark mentions three eyewitnesses, three women. Uh, they'd seen Jesus die, they'd seen where he was buried, and as was the Jewish custom, they'd come, they'd come to anoint Jesus' body. Except when they arrived to anoint his body, the tomb was empty. Nobody. Well, why? Well, it's because, as the angel said, he has risen. And later, as recorded in another one of the eyewitness accounts in Matthew's Gospel, they saw him face to face. But as I said, these eyewitnesses were women. Uh, there's lots of different ways uh, society do things in the world, but sadly in this society, women's testimony uh, was not taken into account. They weren't considered credible witnesses. They weren't trusted to give evidence in court. That's just the way it was. And so if you were making something up, why would you have women as the first witnesses? Well, you wouldn't. You wouldn't do that. This suggests that the events of the resurrection weren't made up, they were actually recorded as they were recounted. Well, after the women, uh, many others saw Jesus and there's, there's lots of uh, different instances of people seeing Jesus when he was alive. They ate with him, they spoke with him, they heard him, they touched him. And as the New Testament was written, these people who saw Jesus, who ate with him, were still telling their stories. And that's as when these, kind of, these gospel accounts started to circulate. And so if you wanted to go to check these gospel accounts, you could just say, well, this says you saw this, did you? And if they were like, nah, that didn't happen. That's the end of it right there, right? But that didn't happen. They were corroborating. They were backing up these gospel accounts. But also, many of these eyewitnesses later on, they were killed for keeping on telling their stories. Do you reckon they would have died for something that they knew was made up? Do you reckon they would have died for something they knew wasn't true? Do you think they would have kept telling their stories to the point of death if they hadn't been convinced they'd seen Jesus alive after he was killed? As a, an American uh, theologian writing about the resurrection said, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we wouldn't have heard of him. But we have. There's lots more that could be said about the resurrection of Jesus Christ at its historical basis. And I reckon if it's something that you want to find out more, if you've got questions, it's definitely worth doing. And there's a few things that you could do. 
Uh, one thing is to go to our bookstore, just out there to your right, and there's a couple of books in particular that I want to recommend. This one's called Is Easter Believable? And it goes through some of, some of the questions we might have about the historicity of the resurrection. There's another one called Surprised by Hope by a guy called Tom Wright. This is a, a, a bit more of a chunky one. It's got some stuff on the historical uh, historicity of the resurrection, but also some other stuff about the significance of what it means for the world and what it means for Christians that Jesus was raised from the dead. So go and check one of those out if you like reading books. If you like speaking to people, you can speak to me or Sam or Larissa or someone else that uh, you know. And the other thing you could do is come along to Christianity Explored. The course is designed just for this type of thing, to explain things, to answer the questions that you might have. Lots of options. But what I wanted to do for the rest of tonight really is kind of reflect on what the resurrection means for us. And I'm going to do that by taking us to a funeral. Because there's often uh, uh, a death. That's what it takes for us to realise how important that Easter Sunday really is. And so Sam's going to uh, read a part, uh, and this is in the, that, in the inside sheet uh, from John 11, uh, verses 1 to 7, to kick off. Thanks, Sam. Now... A man named Lazarus was ill. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay ill, was the same one who had poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is ill. When he heard this, Jesus said, This illness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. So here we have kind of a very real human story. Uh, There's Lazarus, there's Martha, and there's Mary. Uh, They lived in Bethany, and they're about four days uh, travel southwest of where Jesus was at the time. And now we hear that Jesus loved Lazarus. But that's, I think, why it's a little bit surprising to hear that Jesus doesn't go straight away as soon as he hears that Lazarus is sick. Instead, he waits for two days. Why did he do that? Did he think, oh, that Lazarus, he's uh, pretending again. He's just got a bit of a case of the flu. He'll get over it. No, Jesus knew it was serious. And in fact, he only leaves when he knows that Lazarus is dead from verse 14, which is, is not in your handout. Lazarus is dead and for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. What's Jesus playing at here? It seems that Jesus is using Lazarus for, for another purpose, to make a point about something. And if that's true, it's, it's pretty brutal, right? You don't use the people you love, especially like this. But I, I don't think that's quite what's going on. We, we know that Jesus loved Lazarus. He wouldn't use him like that. And second, 
the journey to Lazarus was four days, and then Jesus waits two days before leaving. And you'll notice when he arrives in verse 17 that Jesus found that Lazarus was already in the tomb four days. So if you do the maths, and let me do them for you, even if Jesus left immediately, Lazarus would still have been dead, but for, for two days instead of four. So what's going on here? Why is Jesus waiting? Well, uh, the Jews thought decomposition of the body set in after four days. And they thought at that time, this kind of soul left the body. In other words, after four days, someone was like proper dead. Beyond doubt. So Jesus waited, I think. So when he got there, there would be no doubt that Lazarus was really gone. And so when he got to Bethany, Jesus would not only show his love for Lazarus, he would actually reveal something of his true identity to everyone else who was there. Sam's going to read the next part from verses 17 to 32. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she'd said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who'd been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. In Jewish culture, uh, they buried the body, usually on the day of death. Very practical thing in such a time. There was no waiting around. And after the uh, burial, the mourners walked back in procession and then a 30-day mourning period would follow. That's a long funeral, isn't it? I've been to many funerals in my time 
none that long. Some of those funerals are long expected. The person have uh, lived a full life. They've passed away gently, perhaps in their sleep, surrounded by family and friends. Uh, Some are gut-wrenching and they're tragic. But I think every funeral that I've been to has been sad. People try and process what's going on in different ways. They live such a full life. They live on in our hearts. But at the end of the day, no matter how we process it, we can't change what's happened, the fact that the one we love has been taken away. And so funerals, really, they make us stop. As it turns out, there is nothing actually more important than matters of life and death. I guess that's why it's a saying, right? Funerals are a reality check. They remind us just how trivial so many of the things that we worry about, complain about, get worked up about, how trivial they really are. Death reminds us just how fragile life really is and it reminds us how precious people are, what you wouldn't have to get just a few moments back with them. And so Jesus arrives at this funeral and the grief is palpable. After he arrives, Jesus meets Lazarus' sisters. Martha is kind of composed, but Mary, she's beside herself. In tears, she flings herself at Jesus' feet. People have different ways of dealing with their grief. But notice they both say the same thing when they see Jesus. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. They love Jesus, they respect him, they call him Lord, but here it's a challenge, right? A respectful one, but a challenge. Why weren't you here, Jesus? Is it any wonder they're they're distraught? There's nothing more basic to our existence than the bonds of love that we share with those that we love, and it just hurts when they're torn apart. There's no such thing as a good funeral because nothing can replace what death has taken away. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Well, Jesus attempts to comfort Martha, verse 23. He says, your brother will rise again. What do you think? There, there, Martha, don't worry. He'll be back one day. He'll rise again. I reckon Martha's response is pretty flat. I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. She knows her scriptures, Martha. She knows the promise of the resurrection at the end of time, uh, the promise that you'll read about in Ezekiel. She knows all will be raised on the last day, including Lazarus. And maybe sometime soon she'll draw strength from that promise. But now I wonder if that's cold comfort in the face of what's happened but I don't think that Martha or Mary later have fully grasped who Jesus is and what he means. And this is what Jesus says, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Martha, Martha, listen to me. The resurrection is not just some future fact, some 
disconnected truth somewhere in the future. Eternal life is not just some far-off hope. It's here. It's now. It's standing right in front of you. Those who believe in me will live, though they die. Those who believe in me, they will rise to eternal life. If Jesus was just a prophet or a teacher, he would have said, no, you're right, Martha. But Jesus is so much more. He is God in the flesh, God the Son. He's the resurrection and the life. Have a look from verse 33. Just down at the bottom of your page. When Jesus saw Mary weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. The one who made the heavens and the earth, the one who flung the stars into space, who spun galaxies into existence... As he approached the grave of Lazarus, his friend, he burst into tears. Why? Because he loved him. But it wasn't just sorrow that moved him, verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. Jesus, it says, was uh, it says, was deeply moved. And the underlying word here also kind of reflects an agitation or an indignation, kind of a, a, an anger almost. You see, Jesus wasn't just sad, he was angry. And he was angry at death for taking his friend, angry at death for all those it had taken. You see, death isn't, wasn't God's plan for the world. It's not just kind of another part of the circle of life. God had created us for life, for relationship, not for death. And death is alien. Death is the great enemy. It rends, it separates, it tears families and relationships apart. That's why at the grave of Lazarus, Jesus wept. That's why he was angry. And Jesus' tears at the graveside of Lazarus show that when we pray, our prayers don't just kind of bounce back off at the ceiling as if nobody cares. They don't just disappear into thin air. They show that Jesus is with us in this mess. They show his love, God's love for you, for me and all this broken world. But this is the great news of Easter. The great news is that Jesus did more than weep. The great news is when he encountered death, he acted. Sam's going to read from verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, 
Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing there, that they may believe that you sent me. When he'd said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth round his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. With a word, Jesus banished demons. Get out! With a word, he calmed the storm. Stop! And with a word, he raises the dead. Lazarus, come out! And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around its face. And he came out because on that day, death had met its master. But notice this, Lazarus came out still wearing his grave clothes. Did you notice it? Why? Well, maybe after being dead four days, folding up your grave clothes neatly in the tomb isn't your top priority. It's not the first thing I would do. But I reckon there's another reason that John draws our attention to this detail. I think it's because Lazarus' resurrection was temporary. Is Lazarus still alive today? This Lazarus? He's not, is he, right? He's dead. Death still had had its grip on him even then. That's why he came out dressed in his grave clothes, because one day he was going to need them. As amazing as it was, and it is truly amazing, the resurrection of Lazarus was only temporary. It was a band-aid, but it's a band-aid that points us to something much, much greater. Easter Sunday. It points to the one who was raised never to die again, the Lord Jesus Christ. And on that very first Easter, over 2,000 years ago, when the three women arrived, they found the stone rolled away. And where do you think the grave clothes were? Listen to this from John's Gospel, chapter 20. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. They were lying in the empty tomb, right? Where they belonged, because Jesus didn't need them anymore. Because when Jesus rose, he rose, never to, he rose never to die again. When he rose, he had the final victory over death, but not just for him, but also for all those who trust him as Lord and Saviour. Friends, because of Easter Sunday, we can know for sure that Jesus was for real when he said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives 
by believing in me, they will never, ever die. In this life, there's going to be lots more funerals. There will be pain and there will be tears. But because of Easter, death has a use-by date. Its days are numbered. Because of Easter, we need not live in fear of death anymore. Because when Jesus comes again in glory, he'll call out from the grave all those who love and trust him. He'll call them out of the grave into eternal life. Ed, come out. Chris, come out. All who love and trust him, and they will come out, and we will come out into eternal life. And on that day, there'll be no more suffering, no more pain, no more tears, no more goodbye, because on that day, there will be no more death. This resurrection of Lazarus is a reminder, but Easter is a guarantee of these words from Jesus. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never, ever die. Let's pray. Loving Father God, we thank you that you raised Jesus from the dead, that you defeated death forever. We thank you that even when we were lost in sin, you came to save us. We thank you that you will raise us too on that last day to be with you in a renewed creation forever. Please, would you comfort us Would you assure us, would you give us strong and certain hope in the resurrection? Amen.